0: Uh, this is your captain speaking. We are now approaching a little bit of turbulence. Please return to your seats and buckle your safety belts.
1: Welcome to Decision Space, the only show to take place right here in the space between the turns of your favorite games. I'm Brendan Hansen. I'm Jake Friedman. And this is the podcast about decisions in games. This week, we have a very special treat for you. We're talking about Downforce. I think a game that has a racing game that has an incredible reputation as an exciting, fast, loose, wild ride in which two to four players take ownership of cars, bid on their own cars winning or maybe their opponents and try to vie for victory in this medium agency zany
0: racing game
1: jake how
0: are you feeling today feeling good ready to get into this conversation it's gonna be like a wham bam pow action-packed conversation to match this game i would
1: say some episodes of decision space we roll up and maybe listener you're like are they gonna have strong feelings this episode and sometimes the answer is "Eh, we, we like the things and sometimes the answer is we have strong feelings. <laughs> and you might be in for some strong feelings this episode. Oh boy! So Jake, let's get into it. Let me know what your feelings are on downforce.
0: It's so tough, man. Like because we're wearing critics' hats, we want to be fair, we want to be objective, and not ho- totally uncommon for me in this show. But I am very much of two minds in this game. I've ha- I played downforce in person a bunch. Uh, I used to own it. Played it with friends when I was sort of first kind of really diving deep into the board game hobby. I've been playing it more recently online and I've had a lot of fun playing this game, but I also think, and I mean, this is a word that's thrown around a lot that this game might just be honestly broken in a way that none of the other games we've covered yet are. So I think for those two reasons combined, I'm going to give this game a 5 out of 10. It's it's a game that, you know, can really it's a okay game. It can really lead to some fun, raucous and enjoyable moments, but when we're talking about like the interesting decisions in games, I'm just not sure that there are really any here. Ooh.
1: Yeah. I think that broken is a really strong word. And I think I share a lot of Jake's sentiments. I had high expectations for downforce. The premise of downforce is awesome. The idea of betting on the ownership of cars, entering them into a shared race, and then having these shared objectives, these shared incentives of wanting to and being forced to push other people closer to the finish line as you push your own car and maybe not having all the movement in the card mechanics that it takes to get your card over the over the finish line seems very interesting and is an exciting premise, but within the meat of the decision space, just based on sort of, I think the lens that Jake and I pick up for this show, the game itself leads a lot to be desired on the decisions front. And I think emphasizes other points of play that make me feel like, why can't we just have both uh, in a lot of cases? And we'll definitely get into why that is. And some of the the systems that feel not fully delivered on in terms of their premises despite huge potential. So I I think sometimes I feel like Jake uh Jake is a little bit more decisive with his n- numerical votes. So I'm going to give this a 6 out of 10 which but I could see myself giving it a 5 as well. It's a game I'm happy to play. Um but it's not one I ever need to own, and it's probably not one I'd seek out plays of. And if I were just offered a play of Downforce or a new racing game, I'd probably pick the new racing game.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's tough. And we'll get into this. We have a lot to talk about in this episode about uh, sort of the, the way the game works. And, like, I love so much about it. Like, I really like the card mechanism. You know, it really is some, a game that can feel exciting and it's fun. It's so easy to get into, Uh, You know, you can set up and start having fun right away. So it's like, you know, there is genuine fun to be had here. So don't let us, nay, say you away from giving this game a try, especially since it's available on Board Game Arena.
1: Okay. And Downforce, let's talk about the history a little bit here, Jake, is a very adored game. So Downforce was brought back in 2017 under the name Downforce by Restoration Games, uh, helmed by Rob Davio who is the designer of Risk Legacy and really the inventor of the risk of the legacy system. So Robs through Restoration Games finds old games from the past that maybe were once loved and haven't been at the forefront of people's minds in terms of games and brings them back and tries to position them for the market as it exists today. And Downforce is a reimplementation of a game called Top Race which came out in 1996 and was designed by Wolfgang Kramer one of the designers uh, credited for Downforce. And 1996 is a very interesting year for Wolfgang Kramer and uh, an important year because in 1996, another one of his published games was a little game that Jake and I love by the name of El Grande.
0: Our number one game, our number one game on Decision Space of all time, at least for last year. At least
1: for last year, or so of all time. So I think it's, <laughs> it's not an overstatement to say that Jake and I would be highly interested in... In this game, would look at it to be con- in comparison, at least somewhat, though it's completely different, uh, but have pretty high expectations coming in too, just based on that reputation. And interestingly, looking back at the history, Downforce has a history even older than that, uh, because in 1974, the game that I was talking about, Top Race, which was published in 1996, uh, there was a game linked to that that had a lot of these same ideas called Tempo. And it was a themeless racing game on a straight no track. Way. Tempo? Tempo. Uh, and that was Kramer's first published game in 1974. So Tempo sort of lays the groundwork, lays this straight themeless track game. Uh, for what would become top race and what would become downforce. So a pretty interesting thread and a long, long history of ideas here.
0: That's fascinating. I feel like we just are like pulling on this thread. And if we like go deeper and deeper into like Wolfgang Kramer's design history and the history of this game in particular, we're going to be like somehow in an episode of Black Mirror.
1: Yeah, he invented the wheel.
0: To, to create <laughs> so, racing
1: games somehow right that's the, yeah yeah
0: well before we it's go just it's just downforce all the way down yeah before we, every game
1: is is a downforce game um I guess before we get too far into it, I should say that Downforce plays two to six players though many people say it's either best at three where you have a little bit more agency and control or maybe best at six where the zaniness is turned all the way up.
0: Well, let's go ahead and roll the rules overview that you generously record um, and then we'll get into our deep dive of the decisions that do exist in this game or do they? (laughs) Downforce
1: is a racing and bidding game for two to six players, in which players bid for ownership of cars, race their cars, and bid for whom they think will be the race's winner. At the start of each game, players are randomly dealt cards depicting movement amounts for each of the game's cars. For example, one card might move the blue car five spaces, the green car four spaces, the red car three spaces, and the black car two spaces. Another card might move the orange car five spaces and the black car two spaces. Each game is played with exactly six colors of cards. At the game's outset, each of these six cars are auctioned off and players use their cards to place bids on these cards and the bid amount for a one auction will be negative points at the end of the game. But players receive points for where their cars place with the most points at the end of the race for first and slightly fewer for second and so on. So there's a real incentive to have at least one car in the race and one player might end up controlling two or even three cars in the race, depending on the player count. Then the race portion begins. In turn, players play cards from their hand, moving the denoted amount from top to bottom on those cards, each card towards the finish line. When a player plays a card, they direct movement for all cars depicted on it, meaning they can ineffectively zigzag or trap their opponent's cars in poor positions and zoom their own car, or cards they've bid on, efficiently ahead. At three points in the race, players are instructed to place bids on which car they think will win the race and receive points at the end of the game based on their bids. The race ends when all cars have crossed the finish line or stall out with no movement potential left with players still in the race, at which point, The player with the most points for placement bids and subtracting their betting values is crowned the
0: victor. All right, Brendan, thank you so much. We are back on the other side of the rules overview. Always appreciate you taking the time to do that. Uh, So let's get right into the decision space present in this game. Let's give it the decision space treatment. Okay. Before we do that, really quickly, I want you to explain why. You
1: feel maybe there aren't what the teeth that are lacking. Why is this why are the decisions defanged in terms of the scoring incentives? Because I think the objective overall and how we're thinking about the game is going to inform how we talk about the decision space and how we're forced to make decisions that I think are going to maybe inform and be helpful for listeners to see where we're coming from and what we're thinking. So, can you lay it out the sort of what's falling apart for us?
0: I think there's a couple of problems um, that are actually. Both operating on different axes, but they are both involving around the incentive that the whole of the game, the mechanisms, the scoring is giving to players uh, in in a way that it sort of takes a lot of choice out of the equation. So I think the just to lay it out in simplest terms possible, I think the problem with this game uh, from a decision space perspective is that it seems like in order to win the game, there's one very clear path to do that, and that is to have your car finish first, right? To win the race. And if that is the strategy that you're taking, then you want to, of course, bet on your car to finish first in each betting opportunity. Uh, and if you are successfully successful in pulling off that strategy... It's almost a guaranteed victory outside of like absurdly specific scenarios. Um, So to take that a little bit further, what that means to me is that it almost would never make sense to bet on anybody else's car, even if you thought you had no chance to win the race, because if you bet on a car that you do not own and that car goes on to win the race, no matter what position that car was in when you placed the bet if the owner of that car is also betting on that car to win the race as they are incentivized to do because of the scoring mechanism then you still aren't going to win because if that car wins and they've bet on it then they're going to win the game so i think players are confronted uh, by this sort of insurmountable uh, barrier to placing bets on anybody's car but their own because if they're betting on somebody and that person's also betting on their own car, then you're still coming up as the loser on that transaction. So you may as well shoot for the moon, bet on yourself, uh, and that seems to be really, in my mind, the only viable path to victory. And if that is true, then it means the betting part of the game is not a decision at all, right? You have to bet on yourself, and there's just not enough tactics or strategy or decisions present in the actual mechanisms of the race and how that plays out uh, to, for that to be enough on its own. Uh, like there's not really, I don't think, skill that can separate players in sort of operating the race to give yourself an edge there. It's, it's very simple, very light. So you're kind of left with on both sides, uh, not a lot of interest there. And I think that is my issue with the game.
1: I think where this stems from too is in almost all of our plays of this game, the player who gets out in the lead first ends up continuing to be in the lead because of the mechanisms around how the race itself operates. With being in the lead creates this huge advantage in terms of freedom of movement for how your cards work. It also incentivizes other people to bid It's tricky because people are, are, if you're out in the lead, people might be incentivized to bet on you early on and then help push you to an even further lead. You're also, if you're in the lead, incentivized to push yourself, or maybe they're not incentivized to try to move you ahead. Like what Jake was saying, they're just incentivized to bet on themselves because that's the most solid strategy. But it's just going to be so hard based on the agency in terms of the cards that you have. Um to come back from behind once you fall behind in a meaningful way. And there are going to be cases of this game where what we're saying doesn't hold up to be true, right? There are definitely plays of this game, I'm sure, where someone makes a come from behind victory or people don't bet in a way that aligns perfectly with incentives and someone wins and not getting first with their car. But I think on average, the decisions offered don't have the nuanced sort of rich flexibility for interesting maneuvering in terms of the betting that I wish that this game had in that place. And oftentimes it feels like the decisions
0: are more like options that one can never take. Right. Yeah. And I think like you really can't stress enough, like the shooting the moon scenario necessary for you to win the game without winning the race or betting on your car. Uh, So just as an example, we had a recent play of this uh, and you know, where I'm really, I really enjoy this game. So like, I desperately want this to not be true Um, because if it is true, it just makes the game a lot less fun and less interesting. If there are no other viable paths to victory. So I've been playing around, right. Trying to see what can be done. Uh, And I played a game of downforce very recently where I think I played literally the perfect game game of downforce, where my car doesn't win, and I don't bet on my car to win. Uh, So I bet I purchased my car in the auction for one unit, I think it's like a million dollars, but you know, one unit, the, the lowest possible amount, I bet on the car to that did end up finishing first in all three bets. So I won all three bets. And to top it off, the car that I purchased finished second in the race. So all of those things are literally the best possible outcome, and I still did not win the game. The person who bet, uh, who the person who did win the race that I was betting on, uh, ended up, of course, betting on themselves for all three, uh, and they had purchased a second car, so they spent way more money than me in the auction. That second car ended up finishing like fourth place. And we tied on points and they ended up winning on the tiebreaker, which I believe is finish in the race. Um, So it's just like, to me, that was like a very important play because I think it just showed that like, even and you know, I had to get really lucky in order for that to achieve all those outcomes. Like it's probably, I would imagine more difficult to play the game that I played for second place uh, than it is to simply, you know, try and win the race uh, and bet on yourself to do it. And yet it still didn't work. It just leads me to believe that's like outside of absurdly obscure scenarios. Like why bother with that? Yeah. You know, and, and I would have been, and I could have won the game by betting on myself. I had the opportunity to finish the race in first place, uh, but I, I chose not to right? so that all my bets would come through. So even in that game that I played, I could have won had I just played the obvious strategy of betting on yourself every single time and trying to win the race. So it was just that was like kind of a demoralizing play in a sense, because I think it just showed uh, how difficult it is to overcome that incentive to bet on yourself every time.
1: Yeah, I think that does a really, really good job of explaining sort of where we're coming from with how the the mechanisms work. So maybe now we shift to our lens and we talk about and characterize the decision space and then delve more into some of the mechanisms that we really love, even though the sum total of their parts in this instance doesn't create a game we're totally smitten with. OK, so first racing game we've covered on decision space. That's exciting. Um Racing games are energetic. They have the potential. Is that you're giving me a look? Is that not true?
0: Well, it's true in the sense that, like racing theme games, okay. I think, like you know, we play like games that are like a race to ten points, like oh uh, Raise Arcana, God. for instance.
1: Oh, get race! All race games are race games. Argument out of here. This <laughs> Just is saying. the first race game. Every game is a race game. Magic the Gathering is a race to zero H life for your
0: opponent. I don't know. I mean, okay, we don't have to go down this rabbit hole, but I think there's a difference between a <laughs> You don't think like there's a difference between Reza Arcana and Magic: The Gathering, like no, one of, of those feels way more race-like?
1: Of course there is. Of course there is. But I think that you get what I'm saying when I'm saying a race game. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah you're yeah.
0: talking about cars on a track specifically, yeah, or, and only or
1: a physical. I'm talking about a physical space that you're navigating with with objects in that space, whether it's camels or cars or other mythical creatures, horses, people on foot. Yeah, mythical on creatures, I like think,
0: horses and bicycle riders. Exactly,
1: like horses and <laughs> yeah. bicycle riders, the classic yeah. mythical creature. <laughs> I, I think that for me, part of the importance of racing games that sets it apart from something like Res Arcana is the physical interaction of these things in a physical space. Because yeah. I think that informs a lot of the mechanisms. And though you sure. can use that metaphor to talk about racing in terms of points in Res Arcana, or even racing to 10 points in a game like Settlers of Catan. I think that that physical interaction characterizes the decisions or at least it should have. It should. Yeah. It should matter that we're in a shared space because that's what racing is, right? Unless right. it's just, you know, time trials, which is... Yeah, I think I, we're on the same okay. page on this one. Okay, so decision space. Waxing, waning, dynamic, static. I think it's a... Can I can I pause it? Can I go for it? Mm-hmm. I yeah. think it's a, a waning decision space game just sheerly by the fact that you have a limited set of cards And within those set of cards, you oftentimes don't have the ability to necessarily even move the vehicles that you want to. So I would argue that the waning nature of the decision space is one of the most frustrating versions that I've ever played because my ability to do what I want in the game wanes. So my ability to enact decisions in which I'm doing what I would like to be doing in the game Stops before I finish playing the game necessarily, right? I continue playing the game even after my decisions in terms of what I would like to be doing has ended in terms of the cards that I have available in a typical play of the game, which I find to be really unique and a little bit frustrating. If the scoring incentives were different, it could be awesome and exciting, and that's the promise of the game that I, they yeah. we're frustrated doesn't get delivered. What do you think?
0: For perhaps new listeners, when we say waning decision space, we're talking about a decision space that shrinks over the course of the game, yep. having lesser and lesser options available to, to do on your turn. And I think that is certainly true here, both in terms of your hand of cards shrinking, the, the board itself shrinking as you get closer to the finish line. Uh, there may be less spaces available to navigate into. But yeah, I think... I think it is a waning decision space and also like when we talk about and the size of the decision space that you're grappling with on is so small to the like, to like approaching zero. Right. Um, which almost makes it like feel like have kind of a static, feel, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, like you, cause it's like, uh, if, if you think about a graph, right. That's like, pro approach, infinitely approaching zero <laughs> it's like you know zero stasis that's got to be static i would think yeah uh so I, I think waning with with a big you know pinch of, of static in there just because the decision space i think really is that small
1: And I think those games can really be successful if the decisions that you have have high impact, right? If every decision you're making, even if it's a really narrow decision, has the potential to really meaningfully impact the outcome, that can be really exciting Uh, because it's narrow. You feel like everything you do counts and you might get direct feedback on if those were the right choices or not. And I think that here, there's a lot of things standing in the way that sort of prevent that.
0: Yeah, right. Right. Also, I think we should say, too, that like, really this is a game that has two completely distinct halves. Yep. I think what I've been thinking about and what we're talking about is the race yeah. part, part of the game, which is the bulk of the playtime. That's when you're playing at cards out of your hand to move your cars down the track and across the finish line. Um, but prior to that, there is an auction, which is totally separate, where you're bidding on cars. Or if you're playing with the advanced, I guess, version of the game, um, cars plus a uh power, uh which so what why am I blanking? What's the term for powers that are different from each for each person? Uh aren't they called powers? Let's see. No, they are powers, but like what's like the term for that? Like like Oh, a, asymmetric. Asymmetric player powers. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um yeah, that was just a total brain fart. Yeah, so you can on those and i think like even i i think like the decisions are so scant in the race portion of it that like the game is really won or lost almost entirely in the auction interesting that would be my theory like i think that is the game almost and the rest of it is just kind of like playing out what we've done
1: mm. i feel like there's probably some consequences of the the order of card play that can really matter but you have so little feedback about what cards you might have in hand versus what cards other players might have because of the amount of information on the cards it's almost impossible because some cards have movement for all six card types that i feel like there's no ability to engage with okay almost all of the red action cards have been played At least I haven't been operating with the game and thinking about it on those terms, and maybe I'm supposed to be doing that more, and I'm not. Uh, But in my plays of the game, it doesn't feel like that's necessarily been a rewarding puzzle. So I agree that I feel like the decisions of consequence are almost entirely made in the auction part of the game, which let's talk about the auction now, Jake, because it starts with what I agree is another really cool mechanism. And I think a lot of great games and a lot of great designs and a lot of great mechanisms start with solutions that solve multiple problems so the betting cards are also your racing cards and i think it's so cool that you're dealt a hand of cards equal you know there's 42 cards in the game you're dealt a portion of those equally among all players at the table and then you get to use all of those cards that are going to be your movement cards for the game to bid on the cards in front of you And cards that you bid in one auction, maybe you're bidding for the green car, those cards go away. And your cards show values, both of movement and betting potential, for each of the uh, six color cards in the game. So if I have a card that has a six for red, that could represent six movement in the race, right? But in the betting portion of the game, that's I'm betting $6 on red, and that might have me Six million dollars $6 million, excuse me yeah we're not playing with chump change here uh, yeah. and maybe it also has five for blue four for green and three for yellow if i use that card to bid for blue i don't have the ability to use that card later to bid for yellow i can't place a bid for three with yellow if i don't have another card in my hand that has a three on it which i feel like creates some interesting decisions uh, around uh, which cards am i wrong jake
0: yeah you're wrong it the cards are returned to your hand immediately after the bid are they really yeah
1: okay yeah, they are and just that's scratch that scratch that
0: rewind it and play it back okay. What okay saying is obviously after you place a bid for a card then that card is returned right to your hand so that you could use it again yes for a future bid for the yellow card later on in the round
1: yeah all card bids are returned immediately dang it <laughs> even that system i'm trying to defend it
0: well i don't think that's like matters i like that
1: you have the agency of then being able to use whatever cards that you have access to to make more nuanced bids yeah this system is really about then splitting hairs about which card the car you're going to get where in the race it is right are you on the leading line where you have a more of a potential to jump out in front how does that play into specific card and how much agency do you have tied to given cards right how many movement points overall do you have for specific cards and really based on the incentives of the game you just want to win the auction for the card that you can move the most in the game and maybe win it for the second most if you get a good deal on
0: it i think that's the straightforward way of playing the game but i do think there is some intrigue here like say for example i've got so the most movement you could have on any given card is six movement so you can move the car six spaces so if you have two six movement cards for the black car and it's like in a leading part of the race then perhaps you know to try and like still trying to like see where could there be another strategy in this game like perhaps it would make sense to not bid high for that card let somebody else take it hopefully it shoots out to a lead you sit on those cards the whole game. Other people waste bets on the black card uh, and and you sit on those cards so that the black card gets far close to the finish line and then runs out of gas. So you're able to sneak by with another card because you never play those cards because you never play those cards. But you know, but like it, it, it's still going to be you versus everyone else. And if, if more than one person is trying to like advance that car, it, probably isn't going to work out for you. And if you have such an advantageous setup with that card and having the movement for that card, why not just pay the six bucks, (laughs) take that card and try and win the race. I still think like, you're probably going to have a better chance of winning the game, taking that route than like hopefully trying to get people to bet on this card car. uh, If everything goes right, You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like you have so much less control in that situation. Um, But, like, to the extent that there is strategy and ability to, like, make moves in this game, I think it's in the auction phase. I
1: think it's really interesting, too, how, because there's always six cars in play, because there's six colors represented on all cars, depending on the player count. Some players are going to be the owner uh, meaning they have the potential to win more points in terms of the race component of the game for more vehicles than others will be. They'll also start the race with fewer points that they're going to have to make up because all the money that you bet in the race in the auction portion of the game ends up being negative points uh, at the end of the race. Though if you do marginally well with them, it ends up paying themselves back pretty quickly uh, in terms of the point payouts. But it's an interesting quirk of the game that players can have uh, different amounts of
0: uh, horses, excuse me, cars in the race. It's a weird one, I think, too, like from game design perspective. I'm curious what you think about this, like allowing players to shoot themselves in the foot so drastically mm-hmm. because by to win this game, I think you basically need to have one or two cars. Mm. I, I Perhaps it's possible to win the game with three cars i think it is possible to win the game with three cars uh, assuming you win the race and bet on yourself three times though that might be a scenario where it would be possible for somebody else to sneak out the win playing the game that i played described earlier uh, if my opponent had, had had purchased three cars there then they would have lost almost almost certainly yeah but yeah so like so you really want one or two cars. So it's interesting that the game designer would allow somebody to have zero cars and have basically no chance of winning or, you know, bet. It'd be an interesting way to play, Have to see the game play out if somebody just bets like six on all the cars. I have all the cars. (laughs) I don't know... (laughs) yeah
1: you the point structure payoff basically that that'd be a really interesting game because the, you have no chance of winning if you own all the cards yeah
0: you yeah then it would really the bets would really matter and Yeah, yeah that'd be that'd almost be like more fun yeah i think that would be really fun um i think that it's interesting right
1: because you do it puts a certain degree of onus on the players to understand what the point incentives is which i think is fine but it It is kind of a family way game, but I think naturally you sort of know and understand coming into the game that you should have at least one of this thing that you're bidding on.
0: Yeah, and I think anyone who's playing this game for the first time is like, I'm definitely want to leave this auction phase with a car. Yeah, nobody's like getting trapped in this like, oh, I didn't realize I would need a car to win. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and in some ways it's cool because that gives you a little bit of pressure to to maybe push right. up the auction when you have when you already have a car uh because you don't want someone to get a car for too cheaply so you're just bidding 2 or 3 to put the limit a little bit higher so it creates interesting dynamics uh and maybe some potentially interesting decisions also yeah
0: also the last last point on like per- perhaps uh, another decision you're making there it's like getting a car earlier in the auction you might be able to get it cheaper yeah um yeah, because exactly. Right. Because there's less incentive, like less pressure on people. Like I really need a car. Like if, if you don't have a car and it's like the fifth of six cars is up there, even if it's not perfect for you, you may be betting like three it. or four because you're like, okay, well, this is my, this is like, you know, the last train out of town. Yep. Got to catch it. Let's talk
1: about the powers really quickly because you're partially bidding on uh, which cars you own in terms of color the position they are when they start the race. And you're also, if you're using the power variant, which I think
0: you should. I think so. I mean, like, there's just not that much. Like, it adds almost no extra difficulty, right? It's not like this is, like, an advanced module, really. I mean, I, I think, like, unless you're playing with, like, very, very young kids.
1: Yeah, definitely. It'd be no
0: problem to throw these in there.
1: Uh. So there's there's there have to be six. One, two, three, four,
0: five, six. yeah there's six in the base
1: game so in a full play game you're gonna use all of them once do you have a favorite of these jake
0: not really i think like i think the ones that like can help you get more movement are the best ones determined ultimately yeah ultimately that's what it all comes down to so determined is one of them that one means if the car enters only rectangular spaces during their movement then they get to move an additional space immediately wait what is it you get to move uh is it like plus two right yeah it's plus two yeah why doesn't it say that i right don't know there why it doesn't the say in the rule book but it is plus two spaces. <laughs> okay. so if you
1: only move in rectangular spaces meaning you're not so like going not around curved. curves yeah. you get to move two bonus spaces which can end up really adding up over the course of the game i mean
0: it really is possible in this game that you get to the near the finish line and you have no more movement for your car type yeah so anything that gives you extra movement to make sure that like you have inevitability at the end of the race and like you're not needing somebody else to move you across which may happen uh whether they want to or not um is huge yep so i think determined is the one that theoretically is likely to give you the most movement, extra movement over the course of the game and is like, therefore the best because it could turn, we said like six is the most movement you can get in a basic card. Also, you'll get one card that gives eight movement for any card, car, that card, car, card, car. For any, you get an eight movement card for any car you win in the auction. Um, But Determine essentially can turn a four movement into an extra six, which is really significant i really enjoy the strategic card jake
1: this one says it it says that you can ignore one of the movements on the card so you can just skip over that car if you want which is is pretty cool it gives you a little bit more agency over what cards you don't move uh, which i i like i sort of wish there was more of that element in the game of giving you a little bit more choice over the cards that you're moving and not moving
0: yeah yeah unpredictable is a fun one too but it's also it's like heavily dependent on the cards you have in your hand this one says like some of the cards have wild colors that you can use as any card type any color to move um and unpredictable allows you to like use wild as the same color as another color printed on the card so that can be really good if you want to like if you can move your car like six spaces and then some somebody else for potentially even like unblocking the road for you and then you get to move yourself two more that can be like incredibly powerful but it's like too specific to be as good as something like determined that's just like almost always going to be useful and it also requires you to have those type of card in your hand so that's kind of a fun one but also like it's just like, it's, I think it's like strictly worse than determined, which is, I guess, a, sep- a skill separating thing in the game. Yeah, and these powers are really cool. I like that
1: it gives you a little bit more to take into account when you're bidding on things. And maybe gives, based on how the powers work, different players, different incentives to signpost how you might play the auction if you're a newer player to the game, which is like Jake was saying, could potentially be a problem and is a problem of a lot of auction games. If you don't know the game and you haven't played it before, it can be hard to understand exactly what you should probably be bidding, meaning your first play is going to be even rougher than it might be.
0: Yeah, just just because like... So here's here's sort of like the considerations you have in the auction to think about the decision you're thinking through. You know, you could be... You're looking at the types of cards you have in your hand. You say, okay, I have a six red and a five red, so perhaps... That's like a plus one value to me. So I'm going to like increase a little bit. Uh, It's the unpredictable power, which is like middle of the road. So maybe that's like nothing. Uh, But then the car is going third in the race. So that's kind of even. Maybe that's not like an advantage or not. So like, how much am I going to bid? And then you have to look at your cards and say like, okay, well, I can only bid five or two. So what's it going to be? And that, you know, that's a a real decision. And I think that is like, to me from a strict decision space perspective, like the most interesting decision space are going to be confronted with in this game. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Which, so it starts with a bang and then yeah. the rest of it is seeing how it plays out. Instead. And then
0: we're doing candy land from here on out. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I do think, I wish that there were more nuanced decisions that could play out in terms of the movement on the board. Um, Sometimes racing games have mechanisms to change the way that players' movement works depending on where they are in the race to give you more of a comeback potential. Maybe if you're directly behind another car, you have the ability to sort of slingshot ahead uh, and slipstream, or maybe you just get bonuses for being further behind. And Downforce doesn't really have these mechanisms. It actually punishes players for being behind by making it possible for their movement to be blocked. Uh, And you... Don't always have control over how your car moves, which is an important mechanism in the game. Whomever plays a card gets to choose how the movement works for all of the cards moved by that card. Save one power card that says I will always get to move my car if I'm using it. Um, So that basically means that your car can end up in pretty disadvantageous positions and allow you to scuttle cars uh, if you don't want to be moving. Right. So,
0: so you, yeah. So sorry, just to jump in. So like, you have to move cars as far as you can, but there are more efficient and less efficient paths around the board, you know, so you could move a car, uh, you know, one, a single space maybe maybe next to three spaces that give you the equivalent distances. So like I have to move you three, one, two, three. And it's like equal to one space or worse. Uh, I can put you in a position where, it'll be impossible for you to move forward any further. So you're sacrificing some of the movement because you've run into the car in front uh, of you, two cars in front of you. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So you can move adjacent past cars, but not if there's two cars blocking both paths in front of you, you're just a hundred percent stuck. So you're double punished for being behind because that means you'll have On your turn, if cars are stopped in the efficient space, even if you're not completely blocked, you're forced to take less efficient routes uh, through the map, which is because of the fact that you could just run out of gas, hugely impactful, not getting that efficiency. And you may, as frequently the case, especially on some of them, there are many different maps, which is a really cool thing about the game, that offer kind of uh, fun, really small rules tweaks. They're, They're just fun to explore. Um, But many of them have like bottlenecks where you where the course the whole track may reduce down to two or even one space. So it's like if that car that's in that one bottleneck space isn't moving, then nobody's going further. So all of that just makes the incentive to be like at the start of the game. I think you just always want to jump out to as big a lead as you possibly can. Like I just don't see why you wouldn't. I'll always burn that the eight. eight speed card with your first play unless like you're already you you're so late to go that it's already would mean you can't use all that movement yeah well put
1: well i i do find myself at this point in the game wishing for there to be richer decisions there's all this potential in these cards which are this cool system where you get forced to potentially make movements for other people who you don't want to move i might be in a position where i have to play this card that i really want to move my car ahead but it's going to move the car that i'm struggling with for a second so trying to find the right timing to play that uh, can be tough but you also don't Because there's so much that's potentially happening between your turns, you don't necessarily have a ton of agency in terms of maybe setting up a potential play for something that you want to happen to take even more advantage of it. Uh, And since the game state can change so much from turn to turn, you almost feel like you're just wait for your turn, see what the most optimal card you can play in terms of the movement and the potential points that you can get from the game at this point given point in time based on the cards that you own the cards that you bet for move as far as you can and see what happens next am i wrong jane yeah. is that like not a charitable take on this game
0: no i th- i mean i'm with you unfortunately yeah. and i think like the i i also am with you in that like i think this the, the way the card mechanism works is like really cool and intuitive and fun uh and but it's so restricting that like I don't, it's tough. Like the, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like kingdom builder Mm. in that, like the restrictions are, make it like sort of fun and simple, but also it can make your decisions kind of like null and void based on the situation and cards. And don't get me wrong. This is more (laughs) limited in, in your choices than even kingdom builder.
1: The, the, The potential for clever upside in Kingdom Builder where I fight the restrictions and free myself into this uber powerful decision, uh, which can happen in that system and for me is what makes Kingdom Builder so interesting, just don't exist here. You're always stuck in the rote plays of the limited system of card play that you have.
0: Right. And it's like so one of the things about the cards, right, is you when you're using the card, the movement, if you have six red five yellow, four green, three blue, so on and so forth. You have to do it in that exact order, which means like if you're red and you only have two spaces you can possibly move before you hit the bottleneck and are stuck, like if you play that card, then it's just horrible. You would never play that card in that situation because you'd be wasting your best movement card. In a different game, right, maybe it would allow you to move the cards in any order. Yeah, And that could... All of a sudden that would like blow the game wide open um, in terms of like, okay, well, I can first move the blue car out of my way five spaces and now I can get my six space advantage and so on and so forth. But at the same time, I can kind of understand why the designer didn't go that route because it would just be so obvious what is, you know, it's, it's always obvious what to do with the cars. Like you never have an interesting decision about how to move cars. Like if it's your car, you move it the most efficient way possible. Or if it's a car like that, you bet on. Yeah. If it's your opponent's car, you move it the least efficient way possible and hopefully drive drive them into a roadblock and wait, I preferably you're wasting movement, you know, but none of of that is like hard or thinky in any way. It's just 100% obvious, right? I'm not wrong about that, am I? No,
1: and you've never... I don't know if I've made a decision in this game that made me feel clever. And not all games need to offer decisions that make you feel clever. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, when the game gestures in that direction with this bidding system of shared incentives and having uh, these card powers and this hand of cards that ostensibly gives you all these options, I want there to be room to navigate that puzzle in a clever way because the game is gesturing in that direction and i feel like it doesn't ultimately deliver on that premise in a way that i i don't know i don't want this episode to turn into what we wish the design had been because i think that it's clear that there's some amazing design chops in this game and it just for whatever reason i think it prioritizes the race more than i thought it would based on how it presents itself yeah is that dumb to say for a racing game
0: it's a it is a bidding <laughs> yeah. racing game. You want, like, be, you want this to be race? You want this to be race Arcana? That's what it is. Oh gosh, race Arcana.
1: Oh, oh my god, race Arcana. Um,
0: <laughs> um. Okay, but I do think what you said is important, which is that like not all games need to make you feel clever. Some games can just be like silly, stupid fun. Yeah, and this is a game that actually works in that setting. Like like a lot of people, you know, like playing maybe to wind down at the end of the night. They want to play a game where they don't have to think at all. Uh, You can definitely crack a beer or two and play this with friends and just have like a raucous fun time. And I absolutely have done that and really have enjoyed doing that immensely. I just think like because of what we do here, it's worth pointing out that while that is fine and fun and it's an experience I would gladly have again, you know, uh, next saturday night or or whatever uh it's it's not one that offers really interesting decisions not that there's anything wrong with that sure and but i i think i would caveat it with like a big
1: but i think that i would rather play a game where by the first betting line it wasn't sort of known 90 percent of the time who's probably gonna win right like in terms of other racing games like there's camel up is one that comes to mind of a game that somehow always seems to be in the public zeitgeist and the mind of people when they're talking about racing games. And I think there's a lot of excitement in that game and you're never really sure which camel is going to run off to victory in a way that keeps it exciting to the end. So if I do want this zany, exciting, anything could happen game, I definitely want anything to be able to happen in that game, right? If I'm going all the way the other direction, I don't want there to be so little agency that by the first betting line, it's kind of clear most of the
0: time, even in most of the games, who's going to win, right?
1: That's too really early.
0: I think Camel Up is such an interesting example and a great thing to bring up because in Camel Up, like if your first bet ends up going down on the winning Camel, yeah, you don't feel smart. You feel like you hit won the lot, right? Because yeah. you're like, yes, like I can't believe it. That was, that's so amazing for me. And it's really fun. Uh, which is interesting when you talk about like a- wish you had more agency because if anything like perhaps there's too much agency in this game like too much is known and obvious like if there was more randomness you know like this is a game with no randomness it should be said um and and you know i think like so it's just interesting. What What do you think about that? Like perhaps like maybe what you're asking for is actually the opposite, like not more agency, but like less in the outcome of the race.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that might be the case. I, I think maybe there is a little bit too much and the the uncertainty of how the cards are played is supposed to add that fuzziness that it, it just doesn't feel like it comes together always in terms of how yeah. how the race is determined.
0: There's something about like, like a like the like agency combined with like just super super light decisions or like obvious or choices really that like it can it can reach like a critical point of lightness where it's like actually like i don't want this much agency in this game like and when you think about like tic-tac-toe are are we like are we like verging into like tic-tac-toe territory here where your plays are just like so obvious that the game is kind of like almost solved in a sense i see what you mean
1: you've basically come full circle to the point where you if you only yeah it's solved if you only have one decision you you don't have decisions at all and it can feel like you're being the operator of the hand you've been dealt rather than the the person making decisions about the hand you've been dealt right
0: and i'd much rather be drinking beers playing downforce with friends than tic-tac-toe uh, so I'm not saying this game is tic tac toe, and it's definitely not like that apparent. And things, you know, there there is the opportunity for surprising and like exciting things to happen. Like some, it seems like somebody's gonna win, and they run out of gas right at the end. Like those things are possible and do happen in this game. Um, but but I think like I, I kind of opened up my very first thought saying there are like two big problems with this game, and we've talked the whole time kind of about one which is that i think like the incentives to players yeah lead to uninteresting decision and i think like the other issue with this game is like m- has more to do with like player psychology uh which is that like people are tend to for whatever reason like and i've even like told groups this before like hey if we're all betting on the car that's ahead at the end of the first betting period then that per player is going to bet on their car too and like we're just going to help them to win the race and they're going to win not you so like maybe consider not doing that but it seems like the psychology of people of like i'm going to bet on the car i think like the game's telling you bet on the car you think is going to win and it just seems like for whatever reason like a critical mass of people are always and, and i've played this with inexperienced gamers i played this with like hardcore gamers in the decision space discord and it just seems like no matter what there's like a critical mass of people that are pushing that first car ahead or like maybe people are like oh we're wise now everybody's gonna bet on like the second place car and then which i think is what happened in that the game i gave the example of where I was the one of those people betting on that second place car. And then at the end of the game, it's like, wow, there were like five people pushing this car to victory out of the six of us. And then of course the person who actually owned that car won. And so I think like the, the challenge with that is it's like it only, you almost always in your hand have like almost enough cards to get your car to, to the finish line on your own. Yeah. So it really only takes like one person making a poor decision or even like, the best decision for them, potentially, uh, I, or I guess it couldn't be the best decision for them, right? This is a poor decision, like because for me in that game where it's like I played the perfect game and still lost, I was making a poor decision because I lost. Like, and had I been betting on myself, I would have won. So, like, it, it, it could be it could be somebody just like their first time, like I'm gonna bet on the card that I think is gonna win, and maybe I won't win, but I'll get second place, whatever. I don't care. Or it could be somebody like I'm going to try and like test the bound, band, the bounds of this game, and really like explore it and and take it through its paces. But like if two people are going for this first car, it's like sayonara, it's over. Yeah. No.
1: Totally. I think part of that too is the the what you're talking about with player psychology is this like I I think it's a product of two things, right? It's a product of the fact that the p- car in the lead has such an advantage. By being in the lead that it makes it really hard to swallow the pill of saying they won't just maintain that lead because as a player who's even if you're trying to make that not the case you don't have particularly sharp tools for not making that the case you sort of have to really either collaborate with a lot of people uh to to push it in a certain direction and even then you all have to have the right cards to make it happen or you have to kind of get lucky just based on how the sequencing of cards come out um, and, and how cards moves and which cards are, are stuttle- scuttled. So I, th- I think it's like you're saying where you almost have too much agency in some aspects of the game and not enough in others in a way that everything just ends up being kind of frustrating and feels like you don't really have enough agency at all. To me, right. when I play this game.
0: Yeah. And even if you're the first place car, like even if you're like, I'm not betting on that first place car, Screw that. I'm smart. I'm yeah, on myself. Yourself. Yeah. If that car is at the front of the bottleneck, yep. and the person who's owns that car is smartly like, I'm just gonna burn other cards <laughs> because I can just play the card to make the yellow car move and it can't move anywhere yep. because I'm blocking this path. Like somebody's gonna have to move that car. <laughs> and you know what I mean? Like, so it's just it's just uh yeah, exactly. It's like there's no maybe there was like a catch-up mechanism that could make more intrigue as you were talking about before, right? That's why these these mechanisms exist in other games. Like, that's why we have Mario Kart where you get the whatever. Yeah, the, your payoff, The blue shell. The, yeah. We need some blue shells. Yes.
1: Or even just, you know, the if there were decisions around when you want to jump out to first and why that matters being prioritized a little bit, right? Like maybe, yeah, I'm not going to conjecture, but... Something. We should get
0: in touch. We should get in touch with uh, Mr. Wolfgang Kramer. I guess it would probably be Rob Davia at this point and pitch the uh, Downforce the Blue Shell expansion. Downforce the
1: Blue Shell. I will say, Jake, you brought up the maps briefly. I really like the map with animals on it. There's I was
0: going to say the exact same thing. Yeah. Like, that's the one map that can punish the p- person in front. in front.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, this map, uh, y'all, is this it has three different animals on the board. And basically, if there's an animal out, it blocks movement for a car. And when you move to a certain point, the animals are moving ahead in the race. Uh, so, there might be a snake blocking the path. And it's really fun trying to plan around when these animals are going to jump ahead and move. It also reminds me of uh, cruising cruising the world a classic racing game from the late 90s where you would race and sometimes there'd end up being animals on the board so i just like that it had this nostalgic tinge of of joy for me seeing
0: that there's there's one specific part of that track where like a per of a, a car can be moved like to the right of a fork yeah. that is like blocked <laughs> by an animal and then that animal won't move until it's passed that's how the animals trigger move like once a car moves past an animal it will go to the next space so if you get stuck to the right in this fork because somebody's you know perhaps moved your car there you have to wait until a car essentially overtakes you in the race before you can move again so i think that's like literally and perhaps there's other i'd love to hear you know let us know if there's other examples of this on like other maps that punish somebody in first place but if somebody gets really far ahead and people decide to just and somebody's like you know what i'm gonna stick them there yeah it's great That that's like the one comeback mechanism that i know of in this game and i think for that reason alone it it is also my favorite map to play on
1: yeah if i'm playing downforce let's play with it we're gonna do it animal party style
0: yeah yeah and some of the maps are and that's also definitely an expansion map because it wasn't in the, the base game box i had uh yeah when and i feel like on the flip side like Other maps like really exacerbate the first player problem that have like a lot of like tight sections that to, yeah, to like a single space or whatever. And it's just like, how do you (laughs) like, how do you expect us to overtake this car? It's impossible, yeah. Please help us. And that's where you go back to the bidding matter
1: so much because then really who's moving first gets this pretty large advantage early on. And yeah, there's certainly room to maneuver in some of the maps, but overall, I think. Hopefully this episode gives you a better sense for, I don't know, the... the
0: Duality of man. We can make da- Downforce and we can also make El Grande. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting actually Jake how both,
1: uh, both hands have... Both games have somewhat like bidding mechanisms that interlock into the other game. But El Grande, it's just like one of the best of all time. And here it's just sort of like...
0: Ooh. <laughs> it's interesting too and like also fascinating that like this game was like refurbed for this you know and and i think like for a lot of people will posit the argument in this day is that like games are being designed by like to to have a great first play yeah and not necessarily hold up to many subsequent plays. plays and i think like downforce unfortunately like maybe a poster child for this uh and because like when i first got this game it was like my favorite game for like two weeks like i absolutely loved it i was like inviting people over like you gotta try this game and it took me you know that was before we could play asynchronously play online and just get through like five or six plays you know in a matter of days um so it was like you know five five or six plays was you know a month And it took me a little while before I was like, wait a second. Like, I think you have to only bet on your car in this game. same
1: thing keeps (laughs) happening here. and So
0: I did, like, move on from the game for that point. But, like, man, I had such a good time with it then. And I don't regret the purchase at all. Like, you know, it was a great purchase. Like, well worth it for the hours of entertainment I got out of it. Um, But definitely not one, like, I want in my collection now. So I think, like, perhaps... I'm not sure that that's an argument I particularly ascribe to like when you're talking about the game market in general. But I think if like, you're somebody who's saying that like this might be kind of a poster child for that. Yeah.
1: Well, I'd love to hear what all of you think. Are are you someone who has downforce in your collection and you think it's like the best racing game of all time? You should let us know. I, your opinion is would be well heard and valid. And we would love to hear your thoughts on the game. Uh, Or also, if you're someone who has similar thoughts to us, Jake and I would love to hear from you. You could reach out to us, uh, decisionspa at gmail.com. You could write to us there. You could write to us uh, on our Discord. There's a link to that in our show notes. Discord is basically a chat room that you can join from your web browser. Uh, There's lots of people who listen to Decision Space, just like you, who are talking with us all the time, playing games with us, and generally being a part of our cool little play group. So if that sounds interesting to you, uh, check that out you could also find jake and i on twitter or board game geek and also decision space there just search decision space and those things and you'll find us or you can find jake at jake f r y d on twitter or myself at burn b u r n s i d e b h on twitter which has a bad new owner and i'm feeling sad about that race but uh, until next time, this has been Decision Space. Do you have any closing thoughts, Jake?
0: No, I'm just excited to see what people say. I feel like this could be one where a lot of people are coming out of the woodwork to be like, no, you just need to like do this. People talk and make sure people aren't betting on the lead car or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, so I'm interesting, interested to hear other people's thoughts on this one, perhaps more than some of our other episodes even. Awesome. It's always interesting when we're critical, right? Yes. It's not all the time. It's not what we love to do, but... Uh, I feel like it can foster great discussion. Totally, so ex- looking forward to that. Sometimes we'll put the seatbelt on and and swerve the wheel. But
1: thank <laughs> you to Hembry for your, their hit song "Reach Out," which is our intro and outro song. And uh, we'll see you next week with another exciting episode of Decision Space. Bye. Y'all. <laughs>